happen today? It's 100 bucks for everybody as you leave the room today. So yeah. that'll teach you. Reverse psychology, that's what Carrie said. We should just say, everybody fellowship as long as you want. Then everybody just, yeah. <laughs> then everybody will sit down. I just wanted to bring your attention to just a couple of things. Um, the Wednesday adult classes, um, one, the financial peace class starts this week. The marriage class won't start this week because there was a back, on, back order on some of the materials, so it will be the following Wednesday. So just to make note of that, you can still get materials for the story that will be coming up October 6th. Youth group, back to school bash, check that out in your bulletin. And then the last one is Feed My Starving Children. A while back, some of you were given these little boxes that you can put change in. Um, we are rallying together with 12 other churches in our community, in our region, and we are bringing in Feed My Starving Children uh, mobile pack that we are doing in November. The announcement's in your bulletin, but I, I wanted to bring attention to this one especially. And this ministry is very powerful. Um, if some of you are familiar with it, if you've ever gone to the cities and volunteered to pack meals, um, it goes to the the most poor places on the, on the earth where, where kids are literally starving to death. And these, these meals that go um, sustain them, uh, like some of them are, are, are literally dying of, of hunger. And so it goes into those places. They are unapologetically evangelical. They do it in the name of Christ. And so it's, it's a very powerful ministry. And between 13 churches, we had to raise $22,000. And, and, um, and some of you were given boxes um, to put change in. Uh, what those were for is it's really it's 22 cents per meal that feeds a child. And what we were just saying is a quarter, just to round it up. But, uh, so a quarter per meal. Um, and so we're, we're going to be packing, well, you do the math, I think it ended up being 100,000 meals. And so we needed $22,000 and between the 13 churches. And so if you had one of those boxes and you're putting change in them, we need you to turn those in um, in the next couple of weeks, preferably next week if you can. If you didn't get one you'd like to give to that, you can sure write a check, give it to the church, and uh, you can just write it out to the church and then just put like hunger fund or something like that in the in the, uh, in, your, in the blank. And so we just need to be gathering money. I had a meeting with all the other ministers and we're gathering money just to see where we are at. Um, if we fall short of that, obviously we won't do as many meals. And there will be more information where you can volunteer and, uh, and work a, a, a shift. And so it's just going to be great. So if you can be a part of that giving, but turn your boxes in. Um, we'll, we'll take um, your change, your money to go to this awesome ministry. Let's pray and get started today. God, we love you. We thank you for your presence. Thank you for the family of God. Thank you that you've called us, that you love us, that you care about us so deeply. I pray, God, that we would understand that, that we would understand that you, your love is unbelievably great. So great, we, it's even hard for us to get our minds and our hearts around it, Lord. We confess that, God, sometimes we struggle to even understand your love. But I pray, God, that in just a new way, we would know the love of God and it would change our hearts and that we would see that you have called us each by name and that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.
So today is an introduction to where we're going to be going in the next uh, weeks and months. The reason why I'm doing the intro today, we, we will begin this on October 6th, but next week, Jim Ora, Jim and Judy Ored will be with us. Um, they are a missionary couple that we sponsor and uh, partner with here at our church. If you don't know them, uh, please come and, and bring a friend. They have an unbelievable ministry. You will enjoy it. And if you do know them, you know that I am telling the truth about that. But today I wanted to begin this launch into what is this story that we're talking about and as, as an introduction. But as we begin today, I, I want to take a look at three questions that I think will be prevalent to all of us as we track through the story. And I'm going to go to the, the next slide and look at those um, as we kind of do this introduction, this overview of where we're going to be going, because the story really is, is and it's the book that you saw that I had last week, if you're not familiar with it, or if you weren't here last week, it's the Bible written as a novel, and, and it's just, it takes the main themes of Scripture. It's not intended to be a Bible study Bible. It will cut out portions of like, you know, Levitical laws and those things, but it kind of keys in on, on, on themes, on, on people, and what God was doing and how we are all a part of God's story. But three prevalent questions that will come through this time that I want to really look at and that I'm going to really kind of be steering us today is, first of all, is there really a bigger story that God is offering? Is there really a bigger story that God is authoring? It's a question that we all wrestle with, and people that don't know Christ, I mean, even if you do know Christ, you wrestle with this sometimes. But we always, a lot of people will, will wrestle to some degree, is there something greater than me that's going on? Is there something more than just this life and this world? Is God authoring a bigger story? Number two is, am I really a part of God's story? Am I really a part of God's story? It's, sometimes it's very difficult to catch that, that we are a part of God's story. And we ask those questions. We wrestle with that. Am I really a part? What is my part? Is the third question. What is my part? If I, if I really am a part of this big story, this grand story of God, what is my part in God's story? And so those are the things, those are the questions we'll be kind of weighing in and weighing out uh, 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 as we go along here. Can you imagine if you were thrown into the middle of a film that is being shot, you walk up on something and they grab you and they say, okay, you got your lines, right? All right, we're going to put you here and we're going to cast you right here and, 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 and we got you and they put makeup on you and you have no idea what's going on and they throw a, a costume on you and they get you ready and the makeup person comes and the director and they said, okay, we got him and then they back off and it's just you standing there and this camera crew goes and action. Can you imagine being a part of that and you're like, what, what's going on? I I have no prior information. I've been kind of pulled into something that I, I really don't know what's going on right now. Does, does life ever feel like that? That God looks and he says, all right, all right, and, 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 all right Bruce, you're going to put you here. And here's going to your life. You're going to be born here. You're going to be, this is your setup. You're going to be born here. Here's your parents. Here's your life. Here's the, the dysfunction that you're going to have. And here's some challenges you're going to, and action. Go. Do it. Is 
somewhat that there's this story that you've been thrown in that's happening around you and you're somehow a part of it, but you didn't know that you were a part of it. Life can feel this way at, at times. It seems to be random and chaotic, unexplainable. Is life just a series of events that we are, we're trying to muddle our way through? God is just kind of the author of it, and he says, all right, action, and then we just make it up as we go along. That life is more of a spontaneous happening with no forethought at all, and he goes, all right, go, and just kind of good luck with that. Is there a bigger story? And I'm here to tell you that there is. God has authored with thought, with purpose. And just as writers of a script, as, uh, you know, when they are putting together a movie, this thing is not thrown together. We think the finished product just takes this little bit of time, but as we, if you've ever seen this, some scenes take months to do. And behind the scenes, there was writing, there was thought, there was a lot of care and attention. And God, in his awesomeness, has authored this story of life, and he's invited us to be a part of it. And there is a plan and purpose behind what's going on. We've always been a part of his story. Imagine this, the same God who created Adam and Eve, he created and worked with Abraham, Moses, Noah, David, Esther, also desires to work in and through you and me. Did you know that you were on his mind even when he had them on his mind? That, that's, that's an amazing thing if you think about it, that when God was thinking of the birth of a nation with Abraham, the, 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 the salvation of a nation through Moses going into and rescuing them, when he had that plan and that forethought and, and he'd authored that part of their lives, he was also thinking of you and me. You're a part of God's story. There is a plan, there is a purpose in all that happens. That he's, as we sang this morning, he's working out all things together for our good and for his glory. And sometimes we can see the purposes of God. Sometimes things will happen and we go, oh, that's why that happened. Have you ever had those moments? Aren't those moments wonderful? Because you can, you can kind of see, okay, this was happening and, and then there's something that kind of, uh, some sort of fruit or some sort of result that happens and you go, oh, I see what God was doing all along. I, I, you know, I maybe couldn't see it, the, but here it is. There's times where we see it, but guess what? There are times when we don't see it. And there will be times, let me, let me go ahead and lay this out to you and let it be an encouragement. There will be times when we'll never see it. But that does not mean that he's not working and that his plans and purposes are not being revealed. Sometimes we have to just trust that his purpose is prevailing. And those are the, those are the times that are very difficult. And again, I don't ever want to minimize when we're going through something difficult, but he is working even in the midst of those things. 
There will be times in our lives, and, and all of us would have those stories where things seem random and chaotic, doesn't it? That that scene that I just played for you, sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? And action, okay, make it up as you go along, and we're kind of stuck in the middle of a scene, and we're like, okay, I, I, don't, I don't have a clue what's going on right now. So let's look at the Word of God, and this is going to be a key passage for today from Ephesians 2. Love this passage, and I'm going to break this down a little bit, and it says this, Paul is writing this letter, he said, for we are God's workmanship. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Listen to this, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He prepared in advance for us to do. Workmanship, as you see up there, the word means woven together, woven or crafted together. The word for workmanship in the Greek is poyama, poyema, something like that. Uh, pick your own pronunciation of that. But it means this, and this is so powerful as we look at it, it's more than just, uh, you know, we can see workmanship and maybe lose the power and the meaning of this, but it says something that has been made or created with purpose or with thought. In other words, not an accident, not something random, not something that was just thrown there and they go, oh, look at that. I never have understood, if I can take a time out and just kind of uh, steam a little bit here, what is it up with abstract art? Because here's the deal with abstract art. If, if We were talking about this the other day. If, if you're a famous painter or you're a famous you know, sculptor, you can do anything and they can sell it for a lot of money. And I look at some of that and I'm like, I could make that. And I have nothing artistic about me. My gifting is not art. Please believe that. Nobody wants to play Pictionary with me. I mean, it will take you hours to figure out what I'm trying, you know, I, I mean, I struggle with stick men. I mean, that, that's how bad it is. But isn't it funny that abstract art, you know, they just go, you know, it was, it was kind of like, you know, it's just like, it's a big canvas and it's like a, it's like a line. And then they'll title it Pathways. <laughs> and you have to say it that way, you know, for it to really, you know, and people will go, you know, that's so, that's very deep. You know, people would just be gathered around at Pathways. Wow, you know. And they'll sell that thing for a million bucks because of the, and I'm like, I could draw a line. I could have named it that. I had to call it Rhodes or something. I, I don't know. But some art, this abstract art just seems like, you know, somebody just threw something down. They were just frustrated and they go, well, a good, good thing I'm famous. I have nothing. Let's just do that and think of a cool name. Well, workmanship, as we look at this, this word, is not that. It's not abstract, accidental pathways. It's, it's something that's created with purpose, with thought, and it's not an accident. The word can be used to refer to a work of art. and it's, In fact, if you, if you see that Greek word, it's where we get our English word poem. For we are God's poem. His story we were created to be a part of his story. And then Paul says this. He says, we were created in Christ Jesus to accomplish the works which God prepared in advance for us to do. He prepared it in advance. It wasn't just 
a, a thoughtless process. It, it was thought out. It was not random. It was not chaotic. It was the God of the universe. He created us as his workmanship. And when he looked at Moses and he said, this guy will lead my people out of Egypt. And I look at his life and I look at Esther and she's going to be this great rescuer. He was also looking at you and he's saying, there is purpose. There is workmanship. You are a living poem. You are not an accident. You are a part of God's story, just like they are. And he planned it in advance from the foundations of the earth, from the beginning of time when there was just God, he was planning it in advance, writing his story and saying, you are a part. If you are here today, if you are alive on planet earth, God has a plan for your life. All the events in history are a part of God's story and his plan. And I know that's hard to see, especially when we see horrific things that have happened. But all the events in history are part of his story, even when we can't wrap our minds around all the specifics of the things that have happened, the hard times, the confusing times, the random times. And again, sometimes we can see his plan and his purpose being revealed why those things happen. Other times, we may not see it until eternity. And that's why Isaiah, in chapter 55 of Isaiah he gives us something that we all need to understand and we need to ingrain this in our hearts. And God is speaking to Isaiah, to the people, and he says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Because at that time in history, you know, Israel was going through some very difficult things. God would allow them to go into captivity because of rebellion, because of idolatry. And he says, for mercy's sake, I'm going to allow this to happen to you. But there is a big story. There is redemption on the other side of this. But you need to understand, don't get bitter because my ways are higher than your ways. And again, I'm not trying to minimize when we go through difficult things. But there is a peace that we can have going, God, I don't get it, but I know that your ways are higher than our, than our ways. Because here's a great, grand mistake that we can make is to bring God to our way of thinking. That God somehow thinks like me, he acts like me, he would do what I do. No, he is so far above us. It's like a grain of sand trying to describe the universe. We're the grain of sand, God's the universe. There's actually a peace that we can have in the midst of that, knowing that God is overseeing eternity And so how awesome is it that the God of the universe had us in mind long before we were ever born, that he had a plan for our lives as a part of his story, the story of redemption, the story of rescue, the story of love, the story of forgiveness, and that you and I are a part of that story. And the reason why I'm talking about this, this is essential revelation as we read the story, as we read the Bible, as we understand what Christianity is. Because the Bible is an epic adventure with one hero. Let me go ahead and clear it up. It is not us. The Bible is an epic adventure with one hero, the central and most important character in the entirety of Scripture, Old and New Testament, is Jesus Christ. 
See, because if you unfold Scripture, even in the Old Testament, a lot of times people go, you know, Old Testament's hard to really get, and it was the Old Covenant, and so I don't really even like to read that. But you will see Jesus in the Old Testament, too. Because you will see the, 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 uh, the forefathers of faith in there, and they were pointing toward redemption. They were saying that there's something that's coming. Hebrews 11 talks about that they, that they had great faith because they, they knew that there was a promise, yet they didn't see the fulfillment of the promise yet. And they were looking to Jesus, and you'll see him painted throughout even the Old Testament. We'll see the story of redemption unfolding everywhere that we look. We just have to be looking with the right, with the right lens. The whole story reveals him. And so if he's the hero and we are not, our part of the story is to reveal him and to bring glory and attention to him. That's how we are a part of his story. So when we understand this, when we see this, everything in our lives begins to have, it can, it can have purpose. That God can use triumph and tragedy if we will let him to reveal Christ. He can use victories, he can use defeats to reveal Jesus. A lot of times we think just the answer, that only God's answer is triumph. Only God's answer is victory. And there's a level of, and understand that spiritual victory can be masked in what looks like earthly defeat. The cross looked like the greatest defeat ever, didn't it? Yet it was the greatest victory because, as Doug said earlier, we are living in a different kingdom. We have to see from a different angle. And so God can use our tragedy and actually cause it to be a great victory in the kingdom. And so nothing in our life is wasted, not our past. He can redeem that. Some people go, you know, if you knew the old me, you would be shocked. God's not. He knew the old you. And he can use that tragedy. He can use that defeat. He can use that addiction and make you a wounded healer for his glory and that people can see in your lives the story of redemption in you. Nothing's wasted. See, in Jesus, we don't have to be dictated by pain or hurt or abuse. He can use all of it to reveal redemption, forgiveness through us. And that's why I love, and I mention these people, but Joyce Meyer, you know, whether you like her or don't like her, that's, that's okay. You know, I, but, you know, she was severely sexually abused by her own father from the age 9 to 17, you know, she could have grown up bitter and angry at the world, at men, and, at just, and, and just lived her life in bitterness. And, and, but here she is that has a worldwide ministry. She uses her story. She uses tragedy. She uses pain and say, God healed me. God restored me. And now she, people will listen to her. Nothing's wasted. Or Nick Vujicic, born without arms and legs. And how God's used him to speak to multitudes of hundreds of thousands of people all over the world. And he will be allowed to come into areas where normal preachers won't because they say, what's up with you? I mean, you're so joyful. And in some societies, it would be like a curse. And people would just be laying there waiting to die if they were in the condition you are in. And he comes and he smiles. And a lot of times he says, by the time I'm done, you'll wish that you had my life. Because he has so much joy and God's using him. Of course, Johnny Erickson Tata, who we know that was paralyzed from the neck down and how she 
didn't just lay on her bed and just live in depression and bitterness and wondering why God. You know, she had those moments where she questioned, God, why? Those are normal things, but now God's using her all over the world. See, God's story is the greatest story ever told. And you and I have an opportunity to be a part of that if we will allow God to work in and through us as we surrender our hearts to Jesus. God's story is about the lengths in which he will go to redeem and rescue humanity out of his intense love. And so my heart is that over these weeks and months as we read the story together and we ask those questions, is there a bigger story and am I a part of it and what is my part that we will come to know Jesus in a stronger way, that we'll love him more than we ever have and then we'll come to know our purpose in his story. And I love that, that God's story is a story of salvation but you know it's not just salvation. As Paul wrote, he said, we were created from the foundations of the earth to do good works, and we were created for purpose in advance by God, the forethought of God before time began. And so we don't just receive Christ and surrender our lives to him and then get on the bus bound for heaven and wait for it to leave the station. You know, I'm saved and I'm, I've got my ticket to heaven. Now I'm, I'm just going to wait. Boop, and we just sit on the bus and it's, you know, and, and I'm, I'm going to either wait for the Lord to return or, or I'm going to die. So s- salvation is, is awesome and that's a part of it. But we weren't just saved to, to go to heaven. The sole purpose of our relationship with Christ isn't going to heaven. That's the eternal reward for those who have given their lives to him. But we were created to work in his kingdom and to accomplish the good works that he planned for us. As a part of our purpose in his story. So in Jesus, we have been rescued. Those that belong to Christ. So guess what? With him, we are in the rescue business. In Jesus, we've been redeemed so that we are now with him in the redemption business. In Jesus, we are loved, and so we are in the business of loving others with his love. Created, made, thought of to accomplish the good works that he planned for us in advance. Not just waiting on heaven's train to just take us out of here. I love the story of Nehemiah, and I'm going to look at... uh, a little portion of Nehemiah 3, um, I'm actually not going to read that to you, but I, I, and the reason I put this up there in Nehemiah 3, you'll see these names, Zakur, Miramoth, Meshulam, and us. Anybody ever heard of these guys? Unless you've read Nehemiah 3, then you've come across their names. And so this story of Nehemiah has meant a great deal to me. He, God has spoken to me through this over and over in my life, even over the last 10 years, I think, uh, 10, 11 years, that, that this has been a key theme of my life. And I believe it's a prophetic picture of what the kingdom of God uh, is and his calling for us. I believe it's a prophetic picture of Ephesians 2.10. You know, that he created us for the good works in advance. And so we have this story in Nehemiah unfold. 
At the beginning, you know, Nehemiah is working for a foreign king. He is the cupbearer of a foreign king. He gets news that the walls of Jerusalem are in, are in shambles. They're in, it's in rubble. And he's grieved. This is his, Nehemiah is from there. He is an Israelite. And he is grieved and he's saying, oh, you know, what's going on there? And God begins to speak to him and give him a mission and a vision to go back and repair the wall. So he goes to the king, and, and, and if you don't understand the context of this, no one was to approach the king unless they were invited into the king's presence. And, and so Nehemiah goes, and there's a little bit of story like Esther, but he goes to the king and he says, I'd like permission to go and help and, and, and to lead an effort to rebuild the wall. And the king lets him go. And so he goes, and, and I'm, I'm just kind of giving a setup here for where we're going, but he goes, and, and he, God has given this vision. God's giving him a mission. God's given him a task to rebuild the wall that had been torn down. And so he gathers some leaders first, and they go, and they do kind of an oversight, and they're seeing what's happening and what needs to be done. And so there's a mission. They understand without the wall, you're vulnerable to attack the wall represented strength in those days. And so he gives this charge to the people of, of Israel. And he starts and he says, all right, I'm going to give you all a place on the wall. And each of you by families. And you're going to have a section of the wall that you repair. That will be your job. And so as he's setting up, that's Nehemiah 1 and 2. And he gives them this vision. He gives a mission. He gives a task. Folks, let me tell you. We have a vision, we have a mission, and we have a task that God has given us. Ephesians 2.10, we were created for good works that he planned in advance. God's given us a vision, he's given us a mission. So Nehemiah gathers the people and they work together on different portions of the wall. And in Nehemiah 3, you will see, and Zakur repaired the east gate of the wall next to the corner and then next to him was Merimoth and his family. And next to him was Mishalam. And you see these people, and there's a list. These are just three. But there is a list of people that when we think of the context of biblical story and biblical narrative, none of us would recognize these names. But they were working on different portions of the wall. And guess what? They had as much purpose as Moses, Abraham, Noah, David, and Esther. God's plan for them was of no less value than the well-known patriarchs of Israel. And so it is with you and me. And that's why I say, Zakur, Miramoth, Mishalem, and us. We're a part of God's story. See, they saw themselves being a part of a bigger story. They believed it. God had spoken to Nehemiah and the leaders, and, he, and, and they, they cast this vision. They said, here's what we're called to do. And the themes of Nehemiah and the kingdom of God is this. There's vision. That's why it says without a vision, the people perish. It's just they, we're chaos. It's chaos. There's, we don't know what we're supposed to be doing here. But there was vision. There was mission. Guess what? When you have vision and mission... Here's a theme. You're going to have opposition. And they had it. 
And they had it strong opposition as they were building the wall. The enemies of Israel were not going to just lay back and watch this happen. In fact, there was this letter sent. They were trying to, they were trying to uh, weed their way into the people. Uh, the, 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 this enemy king uh, sent a cherub. He sends uh, a guy, and they begin to read a letter to the people. And they're trying to get him to be quiet because he's trying to infect the people with fear and saying, you'll never build this wall. This is wrong what you're doing, and he's trying to infect the people as to bring opposition to them. But they kept on the task. And so the themes are vision, mission, opposition. And then here's how, what they dealt with opposition. They, stood, they worked together. That's why Nehemiah at one time, he says, all right, we're going to work together as families. And here's what you're going to do. The opposition is great. You're going to have opposition. So have a tool in one hand, repair the wall, and have an, a, a weapon in the other because we might have to beat back the enemy. And so there was great unity, and they were side by side. There was love, there was grace, there was hard work, and here's the key, with the right attitude. Hard work with the right attitude, and you see these themes over and over. And then the accomplishment of the purpose. So they saw themselves being a part of the bigger story. I like one area where it says is they zealously worked. They zealously worked. That's what the, They were working hard. They had the right attitude. They were loving each other. They did not expect someone to do their part of the job. They were kingdom-minded people. And so they had this section of the wall. Okay, guys, this is our section. We're going to build it. We're going to build it with all of our heart. We're going to work hard. You guys keep an eye out. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be opportunities for us to be divided. There's going to be opportunities for us to have a bad attitude, but we're going to stay on task, and we're going to accomplish what God has told us to accomplish. And right next to them was another group, and right next to them was another group, and all these people that are listed, average people that caught a vision. And they didn't expect someone else to do their part. This revelation happens when you know who you are in Christ and you know your purpose in his story. Here's what's miraculous if you look at the stories. They accomplished the task in 52 days. Isn't that amazing? What can God do with people that have this kind of heart? What can he do in a short amount of time? You see, they loved each other. They worked next to each other. They fought for each other knowing their purpose in God. So it's a picture of great unity, and I think a picture of what the church should be. And I imagine there were days, there were opportunities to feel like quitting and giving up. You know, the task is too great. We're in over our heads. And I love that Nehemiah 3, in God's sovereignty, he lists all these average people that we don't recognize their names. Because see, we equate walking in God's purpose with being well-known, recognized, on display, great results, right? Up front. But this isn't how God sees it at all. God sees us equally, and his purpose for us is awesome whether we're well-known out in front or not. So the question is, have we found our purpose in Christ? You know, and I mentioned 
Johnny Erickson and Joyce, and they have these national ministries. And again, we can look at them, and we can look with a bit of saying, you know, I'd like to have a, a big ministry like that, or I'd like to impact that many people. And sure, we would like to have impact. But what we forget is God sees things differently. We just recently saw, it was a, it was a, uh, a story that Johnny Erickson had done on one of the episodes of her, of her TV show. And it was, a, it was a family. It was a mom, dad, four kids. They were on their way, love the Lord, strong Christian family. They were on their way to a church event when a guy came over into their lane at 92 miles an hour. Mom, dad, four kids. The oldest daughter was paralyzed. She'll be in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. The next daughter unscathed, just not even a scratch on her. Isn't that unbelievable? The son, paralyzed for the rest of his life in a wheelchair. Youngest daughter dies at the scene of the accident. And so it's an interview with this family. And these people aren't well known. But I tell you, they have, and and throughout this this tragedy, they are seeing how God is using this in their lives to lead people to Christ, to encourage people. And they're seeing a bigger picture of the story instead of just kind of crawling into a cave and saying, we're just going to shut down on life and, and just give up. They're saying, God, you still have a plan. And that's what they said. We know that God still has a plan. Even when we don't get it, we don't understand it. And here are these average people that God is using for his glory. And so it's not about being well-known or recognized or on display. It's about being faithful to God. And there's a great parallel passage in the New Testament that many of you would be familiar with as we go to the next screen. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says this, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. It's kind of another parallel passage to Nehemiah. You are all a part of the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. There's no wasted parts. There's no extra parts that we can do without. You are a part of the body of Christ. And even Paul in there, he said, he said the hidden parts are of greater value. Because that's the way God sees it. That's the way God's kingdom lines up. We're a part of the body of Christ. And Paul deals in there. He says, don't, don't think that, you know, he goes, there's some people in the body. Well, I'm not, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a, a, a mere toe in the body of Christ, and I'm not an ear, and so therefore I'm not that, of that great value. He said, you are of great value even if you're hidden. What would have happened in Nehemiah's day if some of the people would have quit working on their part of the wall? For whatever reason, maybe they were upset. Maybe they felt like the task was too great. Maybe they're thinking that you know, we'll never get this done. This, this wall has been laying in shambles for a long, long time. We're not going to just throw it back up. They, they didn't like what was happening. Maybe they thought, I don't, I don't want I don't, I to just be a worker. I want to be in charge. I want Nehemiah's job. Who died and left that guy in charge? Maybe they thought that their job wasn't that, that very important. You know, who cares about this little section of the wall? It's just my little section. Who cares if I don't really do that? In the big scope of things, if everybody else is doing their part, and it'll just be one little section of the wall that, that doesn't matter, what would have happened? Or they just, I'm not working anymore. I want a different job. I don't like what I'm being asked to do. 
Somebody else can do this. Or I don't like this role that I'm in. I don't like this part of my life. And it, it can, if I can bring it back to us, I don't like my job. I don't understand why I'm here. I don't like my school. I don't like my family. The people around me, I don't understand why this and this. I don't understand why I've been thrown into these hard circumstances of life. You are where you are by God's divine plan. He has you there for a purpose, and he has you there for a reason, and nothing is wasted. But if this was the picture of Nehemiah, it would have been utter chaos. You would have had others trying to step in and trying to do the jobs of those that are deciding not to work. And so what I was like, you have Mishalam and he's working and all of a sudden Zakur says, you know, I'm not doing my part. Now Mishalam is doing his part and this part. And now we've got a slowdown on this thing. And if, what if it happens all over the place and there are people that are quitting and now you have, you know, one guy trying to do five sections of the wall. It would have been chaos. People trying to pick up other slack. They would have been way more vulnerable to attack. The opposition of the enemy would have been way more effective. They would have been able to, the enemy would have been able to infect their minds way easier because unity would be out the door. It would have taken them way longer to accomplish the task, or here's the, they may have never accomplished the task. But these average people grabbed hold of God's purpose for their lives and they accomplished with joy what God had for them. See, unfortunately today, churches all around the world are, are dealing with this picture. A lot of people don't understand their purpose in Christ, first of all. And so maybe they're glad to be saved, maybe they're glad for salvation and on their way to heaven, but what they have forgotten is that they were created by God in advance for a purpose and a plan, for good works that he planned out long ago. And if we don't find our place in God's story, we run the risk of becoming that picture that I just gave you. And so how about you? Are you a contributor? As we see the picture of Nehemiah, these average people, they were all contributing. They were contributors. They felt like, I'm not going to just have you do my part. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to be a contributor to the plan, the purpose, and the kingdom of God. Because the other picture is a consumer. We're glad to be there, and I'm, glad, I'm going to benefit from your work, but I'm going to make no investment And in the Western church, that is why a lot of churches are beginning to shrivel up and die is because you have more of a consumer mentality is I will take, but I will make no investment because I don't know my purpose. And so here's some heart questions that I want to look at right now. Let's go to the next one. So what would the kingdom of God or the church look like if, number one, Everyone loved like you love. And I want you to examine your heart. This is not intended to be a condemning thing, but an encouraging thing to say, God, help me to find my purpose in you. But what would the church, what would the kingdom of God look like if everyone loved like you love? Do you love others in word and deed? Do you love others 
with the love of Jesus that he has so richly given us because we are not just to, we're not love hoarders. We've, we've been loved greatly and so we give love away. We love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and then we share that love with others. What would the church look like if everyone loved like you love? Next one. What would the church look like if everyone served like you serve? Do you serve others? Do you reach out to others? Do you serve the church, the kingdom of God, in some capacity? Because we're called to serve. Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. If we want to look at what he called us to do, you look at him. And he says, the Son of Man not, did, did not come to be served, be waited on. And see, that's what a lot of times we approach the church and we've been saved and we just now, somebody wait on me, wait on me, do for me. And Jesus says, I am among you as one who serves. I give my life as a ransom for many. We're called to be servants. Now, here's the thing. You're not all called to reach and serve everyone. But if we're all on our part of the wall, guess what happens? We're accomplishing what God has for us. What would the church look like if everyone served like you serve? Here's the next one. What, if, what would the church look like if everyone gave like you gave? I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about your time, your energy. When there is a call and, and, and we say that the church, that, that God has called us to do this, to reach out to something, and, and we're going to need people to give of your time and what would the church look like if everyone gave like you gave? Now, I know I, I run the risk of, you know, because a lot of people go, well, I, I knew he was going to talk about he was going to talk about money. But money is a part of it. And I talked about that. Money is so close to our hearts. That's why the Bible says is where our treasure is, there's our heart. It isn't all about money. I can tell you that right now. But God uses our money, our tithing, to advance the kingdom. Would the church survive if everyone gave like you gave? And then we can all, you know, and I, I, I'll get into this maybe some other time, but people talk about, well, isn't tithing Old Testament law? Actually, tithing predated the law. If you want to look at tithing, a tenth. Abraham, remember Melchizedek came to Abraham, and it says Abraham gave him a tenth of what he had gathered. And then in Hebrews, it says that Jesus is a high priest forever in the line of Melchizedek. And so before the law was given, there was tithing. After the law was given, there was Jesus, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And so tithing is not just law. Tithing is a part of our heart. It predates the law. Your giving goes to pay the bills, yes. This doesn't just happen by accident, but it also goes to ministering to others. When we give, we're able to minister with that. My father-in-law, some of you guys met, he was the stewardship director of the Church of God for many, many years, and they did this study, and he said, if everyone in the church, just, just take this church, if everyone gave a 10% of their income of the church, you know what that would look like? You would never have to take up a missions offering. You would have all kinds, you would have money. You'd never have to take a, build, like a building fund. You'd have enough money to do what you needed to do. He said, you could reach into your community like you'd never, never before. And then he said if all evangelicals just gave a 10% of their, and it went, he said you could, you could basically destroy poverty in the United States. You'd have enough money to feed the poor of the world.
What would the church look like if everyone gave like you gave in, in this one? What, what, what would the church look like if, you, if everyone was on mission like you are on mission? Would the church survive? Would it make it? See, sometimes we expect others maybe to do our part. Or that's the pastor. He's paid to do that. He, 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 he's got to do that part. He, we pay him to do it. My role is not more important than you. My role is just one of many roles. And this is why a lot of people in the church get burnt out because you have a handful of people that are doing everything. And it's like that picture of somebody on the wall and then this person says, well, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore and I'm just going to sit down because it's just, and then now, now they got to jump over here and do this and then, okay, and then we got to jump over. So they're trying to cover four, five, six sections of the wall. And, it's, and you just, after a while, you just burn out because you have the same few people that do everything. And this is common in the church. But if everyone would say, this is my section, God's given us a vision, he's given us a mission, he's given us a purpose, he's written us into a story, I'm going to zealously work at what God's given me. And again, I, this is not meant to be condemning at all. These are things that God's challenging me, but it's challenging and encouraging us to, we are a part of a bigger story than ourselves. You weren't an accident. You aren't abstract art. You were created by God with a purpose that he planned long before your birth. And we're a part of God's story. We're a part of the story of redemption. We are part of the story of forgiveness, of grace, and of mercy. And so as we journey together in this thing we're calling the story, I pray that we see Jesus in a greater way, that we love him more, and we find our purpose in his story. So let's pray, and we're going to end with communion. My question is, what is God speaking to you today? Maybe you've struggled to see your place in God's story. Maybe things have happened in your life, and you just can't figure it out. It's like you've been given a... 10,000 piece puzzle with no picture to go off of and it feels like that your life is just random pieces that are all over the place and where do we begin and I'm here to tell you that God sees the picture and he loves you deeply and he can use your tragedy for triumph he can use your past to be a wounded healer you're not an accident and God loves you so much. And I thought a great way to end today would be to take communion together because this picture that we see as we take communion, you know, we're told that we are to receive communion until the Lord returns. This is one of the sacraments that we do here, and it's more than a religious ritual that we just do but it's a time to remember. And, and, and what, what Paul said, uh, he quoted Jesus, and he said, you will, you will proclaim the Lord's death. You will proclaim my death until I return. In other words, it helps us as a church, it helps us to say the big, big picture is to remember that Jesus actually did die for you and me. He gave up his life. 
to invite us into his story. And he displayed this out of great love, and he did it so that we wouldn't have to take on our own sins and pay for our own sins, but to rescue us from eternity away from him. So when we take these, we remember his story. We remember the mission. The mission is us. He saved us. Look at the cross. That's how much he loves you. So as we take communion together, receive God's love today in a new way. Maybe you've done this a thousand times, and, but don't lose the power and the significance of what the Lord is doing in and through this moment, that we are obeying Jesus himself to receive the elements to remember. It's a memorial to Jesus. So I'm going to pray, and, uh, and then this side, you can come up and get the elements over here. This side, you can receive the elements over here. If you need assistance, just raise your hand. If we could have one of our leaders, they can bring the elements to you. That'd be great. Or if someone's sitting near you that needs assistance, you might want to help them. That would be great. So if you need assistance, you can just raise your hand to do that. But in 1 Corinthians 11, before we receive, I just want to... Uh, speak to you what Paul gave in, in this idea of receiving the body and the blood of Jesus. And he says this, he says, I pass on to you, and he's talking to the church, he said, I pass on to you what Christ gave to me. And Jesus, so Jesus is telling Paul, keep doing this. He said, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus sat with his disciples and he took bread and he broke it. It's interesting because they were celebrating the Passover meal and Jesus was saying, and what I just said earlier is that he's a part of this grand story that the Passover points to Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which will be broken for you. I'll be beaten, I'll be tortured, and it's going to be for you. And he says, as often as you eat it, remember me. Remember the sacrifice. Remember the love. Don't forget. Because there's times in our lives when we're going through life and it seems, it seems random and chaotic and it seems hard and we have a bad day at work, we have a bad week, we have a bad month, or we've had a bad two years. Jesus said, remember that. If, if, if everything else around you is collapsing, remember the sacrifice, remember the love. As often as you eat it, remember me. He said after the meal was over, he took the cup and it was the Passover cup and it was to signify that you know the the lamb that would be slain years before when they would take the Passover lamb and they would they would cut the Passover lamb open they would drain its blood and Jesus now becoming the lamb of God to take away the sins of this world he said often as you drink it remember me this is the blood of the new covenant my blood shed for many when you drink it remember me so as we receive, let's remember God's love. And also let's take a look at our own hearts because that's another thing that Paul said is he said, don't, don't receive communion in a wrong way. And what is a wrong way? That means if you have things that you need to get right with God, take a moment to get right with God. It doesn't take hours. It just takes the honesty of your heart to say, Lord, search me. Lord, forgive me for that. Touch my heart. 
and just get right with God. We, we here at Community Bible, we have what's called an open communion. What we ask is that if that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life, you don't have to be a member of our church to take communion, but you do need to know the Lord because it wouldn't make sense outside of that. So let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your great sacrifice. Thank you for your love. Thank you for loving us so deeply. And Lord, as we receive communion together, I pray, God, that we would never forget what you did for us, that, God, each one of us today would find in a new way our plan, our purpose that you have written us, and that we are a part of your story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.